Welcome to the Sport Industry Access Podcast, Episode 1. Why should the sports industry employ sports scholars? Welcome to the first ever episode of the Sport Industry Access Podcast. I'm your host, Ed Bowers. I know there are a large range of sport-related podcasts to listen to. That is why I much appreciate your time listening in. Each week, I'll bring you an interview of a top-achieving sport professional who has had an impact in a specific field in the sports industry to help you become a more successful sport professional. Setting up a business and creating this podcast show has been a leap of faith. During this journey, I've learned so much in such a small period of time. That is why I hope you find this show helpful to your interests and needs. Before I start, I just want to say a moment of thanks to some podcast experts who have inspired me during this process. Starting with Glenn Smythe, who has a fantastic podcast about being a successful sales professional. Then there is Pat Flynn and John Lee Dumas. They both have podcasts on being a great entrepreneur and how to create a passive income. Lastly, I want to thank Lewis Howes. He's just launched a book called The School of Greatness. His book has helped me change the way I think to become a better person in what I want to achieve. If you want more information about these guys, I highly recommend it. I will leave some links in the podcast notes on my website. Now, Relating back to the show, today's special guest, I would like to introduce to you Martin Roderick, a sport academic and senior lecturer at Durham University. During his academic career, he has launched a book called The Work of Professional Football, A Labour of Love, where he has researched how pain and injury can dictate a footballer's career. Today, we'll be covering why the sports industry should employ the next generation of academic sport talent. Welcome, Martin. It's so good to have you on the show. Could you just take a few minutes by providing the listeners a snapshot of your career? Okay. Um, I left school at 16, um, and I, I did my O-levels back in 1983, and I signed for Portsmouth Football Club um, as a young apprentice. Um, and I had four years at Portsmouth. Um, I had a two-year professional contract. But through that time, I really realised that I um, wasn't going to make it. And I, I had players around me that I knew were better than me, really. Um, and But through that time, I, I did A-levels at evening school. So um, I was always mindful. Um, I had two older sisters who went to university. I was always mindful that that might be an option if football didn't work out. Um, and there is such a, a high attrition rate in professional sport that I, I, I felt that was the, the right thing to do. And, and my parents encouraged me to do that as well. But um, so when I finished my um, my contract came to the end and, and they weren't going to offer me another one, I, um, I had at that point started to look around to different types of universities to, to go to uh, and started to consider 
um, the types of degree programs that I might want to do. And I, I ended up going to uh, uh, Leeds Carnegie at that point to do a sports science degree. Um, I think it was called Human Movement at that time, uh, although the names of these kinds of degree programs do change. So um, I found myself at 21 with um, surrounded by 18-year-olds who were just out of FE college or school or six forms. Um, I had spent what felt like four years on the front line of professional sport. Um, and some of those uh, friends and students around me um, had really no experience of the kind that, that I had at that point, although they had a very different experience of sports and participation and what it meant to them. Um, so I, I did my three-year degree, and it was through that time that I started to think more seriously about what it was that I really liked about sport, I guess. I met a whole range of uh, academic approaches to sport, from exercise physiology through to biomechanics, um, ideas I'd never met. Um, and, but it was really the sort of more social sciences towards uh, sports and sports participation that I became interested in. I was really interested in, um, to be specific with you, in the way in which um, I used to think and feel as a footballer. So it was that moment when you knew your career was coming to an end. Was that the moment when you were interested in a career as a sport academic? Okay, so I became interested in... Um, uh, I guess the psychology of sport, the the social, sociological approaches to it, what actually being at work meant for me, um, and the kind of work I was having to do emotionally to present myself as a an aspiring footballer whilst thinking, well, perhaps this isn't the right job for me. And, and, and actually, when I left that degree programme in Leeds, which I absolutely loved, and I'd been surrounded by a whole bunch of of athletes in different sports. I mean, I had been the professional. I'd been paid to play. And I had a, one of my best friends was a gymnast. I mean, the hours she spent in the gym, I had a, a, a one of, one of the, the females on my course, Gwyn Batten, was a, an Olymp she went on to be an Olympic rower. I mean, like proper athletes mm. putting real effort in. Um, and there I was. I'd been swanning around doing a couple of hours in the morning and going to evening classes. And uh, I'd signed the professional contract. But in, in, in essence, their approach was really professional. I thought that this isn't, this is, this was what was really capturing my attention. Um, as well as other friends I had who came from, uh, you know, they, they weren't playing at the levels I had played at, but they were engaging in sport in a very serious way themselves. And, and actually, I, I realised I hadn't, I hadn't really focused on this. I hadn't noticed these kinds of things. I hadn't noticed these different types of experiences. And, and, and actually, that's where I realised my real interest lies. So I left Leeds. I went to Leicester University, which at that point had a very um, good reputation for research on football hooliganism, actually. Um, and I went to work with the guys there uh, uh, who were interested in sport in a more general sense, but a sociological approach to sport. It was a sociology department. Uh, and it was from there that I, um, I became very interested in um, all dimensions of work and careers, uh, of people in general, but athletes specifically. Until that point, I had been um, a, a, a footballer. So through university, I'd played for Harrogate Town. When I moved to uh, Leicester University, I was playing still at quite a high standard for the conf in the co football conference for Kettering Town. And we had a good team. 
Um, but it was there that I, I started to have my problems. So I, uh, coinciding with my interest in the careers of footballers, I was my own career was coming to an end. Uh, I was diagnosed um, in 2004 with Hodgkin's lymphoma, which um, obviously ended my career essentially. So I'd, I'd been battling on through a season whilst all the time getting more and more ill. But in fact, that whilst obviously having a diagnosis of cancer was is, is a pretty serious event, it, it, it did enable me to step out, take some time um, through my treatment and then through my re, uh, recuperation like after it. I uh, I was able to go and watch sport. I was going. I was able to go and see some of my friends who were competing. I was able to watch uh, Premiership rugby, some cricket. And I'd never done this type of thing because I'd always been focused on my myself, my football, um, and that was a real sea change in me. I mean, I, I, I recovered from from the illness, um, but it really changed my orientation towards what it was I wanted to do. And, and I and I thought, you know, hang on a second, I'd. Um, I'd been really, my nose was against the grindstone. I'd been battling away, trying to keep fit, trying to show this manager that I, I was trying to play to the best of my ability. Whilst all the time, unbeknownst to me, I had a, an illness that was eating away my capacity to really perform. And, um, and I was, wasn't able to say, I, I remained silent. Every time he said, what's the matter with you? I said, there's nothing the wrong, the matter with me. I just thought, hang on a second. I'm studying these careers. And I'm not noticing what's happening to me. And uh, I wonder if this is happening to other people. And of course, my research demonstrated that it really was. And so it was from that point, really, that um, all the ideas that I started to have as a young academic at Leeds and at Leicester started to take much more uh, shape and form in the direction that uh, my career has now gone. So from that point, I, I, I started doing a PhD um, on the careers of professional footballers, um, I focused on footballers. Although it's, I, I'm interested in the the range of athletic careers really, but because I had still had contacts in football, it was the sport I knew, um, and I just wanted to get to grips with one sport specifically. And from that point, I could then start to branch out and make comparisons and start to see. The, the distinctive characteristics of other sports in comparison to the one that I knew knew best. But the the the, the study on the careers of footballers was uh, incredibly interesting. It highlighted all sorts of different types of ideas, which are just not very commonly spoken about um, in the media in a more general sense. Um, they're less palatable ideas. Uh, for example, many of the the athletes that I was meeting I was meeting had a really um, complex relationship to their sport. It wasn't just a matter of I'm doing this because I love it. It was a lot more complicated than that. It had started off life, I think, uh, in a more straightforward way. But the ups and downs, the twists and turns that athletes' careers can take um, had led them to have a, a, a different kind of orientation towards towards their, their job and the thing that put food on their kids' plates often. And so that more serious side of sport I mean, I hear a lot of people talking about the, the dark side of sport, but I, I don't really couch it in those terms. Um, because for athletes, the, the ups and downs, the, the, the emotions are, are way too complex to characterise them in, in just one sort of way. And so, you know, my career from that starting point has, has rolled on and developed. I've never really left football. I still look at, you know, the media every day and study what's going on um, from that 
perspective. My interests have broadened to uh, a range of sports um, now and different kinds of careers. Athletes are having careers, full-time careers as professional athletes now in a way that in the early 1980s when I was a, a young footballer, they never did. So you wouldn't have had full-time rowers or gymnasts. Uh, swimming was very different. You wouldn't have had a career. A young girl couldn't have aspired to be a professional footballer. She can now. And so life has changed dramatically. Um, and I should say the study of sport has changed dramatically. In the 1980s, um, we hadn't really any comprehension of um, diet, the idea of training energy systems within the body, the physiological knowledge, just hadn't filtered through to uh, football clubs. I mean, Portsmouth Football Club, where I played, was in the old Division 2, which is the equivalent now would be the championship. Um, and we didn't take sports science even remotely seriously. Um, the idea of psychology was, um, you know, roll your sleeves up, son, and get stuck in harder. I mean, it, it was, you know, there wasn't much thought given to that side of sport. There is now. Uh, and, and degree programmes like the one we have here at Durham and the others, uh, uh, many other uh, higher education establishments in the UK, are, are much more focused on um, the, the, the broad range of elements of, of sport at all levels, not just elite level, but, uh, but uh, right through to grassroots level and, and exercise and physical activity participation in a more general sense. Now, that is fantastic. And um, did that inspire you to write your book? relating to your career from uh, research? Yeah, it, it, it was. I mean, I wanted to get um, work out there so that people could read it, which reflected um, what I felt were stories that you didn't really read about. Um, so I had lots of friends around me who went on to be very successful footballers. I mean, not necessarily household names, but people who had really established careers. They were really good footballers. But when I, when I was meeting them... Um, after we left Portsmouth and went our own ways, um, uh, I, I met people who had struggled in a variety of ways. I, I'd seen them on TV. I'd read about them in the newspapers. But um, that was snapshots of moments in their lives and the ups and downs that they were experiencing. I was thinking, well, hang on a second. Somebody needs to tell their stories. Somebody needs to say these players need some support in a variety of ways. And no one's saying that. Um, they, they need... Uh, support not just from a physiotherapist but other kinds of people who might who they who can turn to in a safe way who they can speak to about certain issues um, which doesn't threaten a position in a team or a position in a squad uh, they need just to be able to, to 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 find someone who understands and and who can talk to them and and, and for for the hours I was with with uh, my friends and other players it seemed like it was almost therapy so okay on a, on a few occasions they would turn around to me and ask well what do you think what do you think I should do um, I mean one very memorable uh, player I spoke to said to me um, you know I I write every day I sign balls I sign shirts I sign my autograph he said but I really struggle to help my my kids who are at primary school with their homework and and this guy had seemingly everything, a beautiful house, uh, cars in his driveway, but there were simple things in his life that he needed support with. And, and he, he said, I can't turn around to anyone and say this. Um, I've, I've neglected my education, but I know it's so important for my own kids. Um, and, and I just thought, you know, he's frightened of, of saying that. He's silent. And, and actually some of these stories 
need to be told because I think somebody can step in and help. There can be people that they can go to. I mean, one of the, I mean, I don't think this situation exists now in the way it did then because I think the medical support for professional athletes has, has improved immeasurably since the early 1980s. But when I first started doing my research, I met, um, I mean, almost every footballer that I'd spoken to had sought second opinions beyond the the medical personnel within their clubs to get a second opinion but they were doing it without telling their clubs that they were doing it because they were frightened of the reaction of the physiotherapist or the doctor or the or of course the club manager or coach in in, in the football club and i think this is a crazy situation to be where they're 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 desperate to play they're uncertain of the diagnosis from the physiotherapist many of whom weren't trained to a clinical or a chartered standard at that point and they were seeking help uh quietly beyond the club's knowledge on their own and so uh you know that can't be right no, um and, and i thought um there, there's got to be a way of saying this such that people can be alerted to it um and that doesn't mean to say that all the the medical staff within football clubs at that point in time weren't up to standard. I mean, there were some brilliant people who I met who were, who really cared for their players. But there was such a variety of different kinds of experiences that players were talking about. There was there was very little consistency uh, from one player to the next, from one point in the season to the next that they were talking about at different stages in their careers. Uh, injuries would mean different types of things. Um, and so what I've tried to do through this research is just highlight the way in which this kind of research can be beneficial to people who um, whose lives are bound up in the cut and thrust of everyday day sport. And they often don't have the capability to reflect and spend time to think about what it is that's going on or, or where issues might be arising. They don't have the time to... Um, just to talk to some of their athletes about how it is that they're thinking and feeling. I mean, one of the most interesting meetings I had with, was with a colleague who works um, at the University of Gloucester. And, and, and actually, his research is into um, the careers of uh, clergymen. Uh, but his, because he's a sports fan, he's really interested in, in clergymen who work in uh, sports clubs. And he was saying that he had recently went to uh, attended a conference and the, the the sports clergymen, I mean, they often have their own parishes and, and areas, but they're linked to a football club or a rugby club. And he said these guys are inundated with athletes coming to them to talk to them about their lives. And and even among the clergymen, uh, they were talking and saying, well, it must be really great to be uh, the vicar who goes into Tottenham Hotspurs or to Leicester Tigers. And, and um, these guys were turning around to my friend saying, well, you know, all I'm doing is spending my t- time listening to athletes who are frightened to, to talk um, and, and know it's not that great uh, and it's a really important job. And, but they're a safe pair of hands to go to because they don't pick the team. They're not going to cast an opinion. They're not connected to the media in any way. They're not going to uh, publish their ideas on a Twitter feed. They're just there to, to, to listen. Uh, and some of these athletes were desperate for that to happen. Um, and... and uh, but, I, but I think times have changed, you know, or, or they are changing. Uh, sport is a really dynamic, changeful uh, um, social and psychological and physical context. Um, uh, the, the medical support around athletes can be brilliant, can, can be an exemplar of, of really good practice uh, in any medical realm. 
Um, but it can also, by contrast, be disastrous. <laughs> um, and so that inconsistency, again, is there. But, but it's a combination of, of athletes who are desperate to perform. Um, uh, they, they don't... I mean, I, I still hear people talk about the fact that some athletes are happy to collect money and sit in the stands. I mean, I've never met a player who's happy to do that um, at all. It's, it's, a, it's a real myth, I think. Um, they're desperate to play. They'll do anything to, to do that, including putting themselves at risk. And sometimes that risk is just not talking about what's happening to them. And so they keep going and going and going and trying to um, support themselves, whether that's in terms of pain that they're feeling, you know, physical pain, or whether that's emotional pain. Uh, and plenty of athletes have talked about that dimension. I mean, famously, of course, Marcus Triscothic. But others, of course, have come out subsequently and talked about um, the way they've kept themselves going under all sorts of extreme circumstances. And, and you know, that can't be right. Um, you know, as, as paying spectators and consumers of sport, we've got to protect these people um, because they provide the entertainment that we absolutely love. Um, just relating to that, to today's main topic, why is it so important that the sport industry should employ sports scholars who are researching all this? Well, I think, I think one of the most important things that I've learned through my journey is that I have benefited um, from a, a more rounded education. I came to Leeds with a very distinct ideas about what sport was about, about what I was focused on, and I just had my eyes opened. Um, and But I think uh, sport, sport-related degrees have changed immeasurably since that time. That they've got better. Um, they're more focused. They're more connected to that outside world. We, we know, here at Durham and in uh, and my colleagues in other universities, um, you know, one of the problems we have is constantly keeping up to date with with all the types of ideas that are circulating through sports at all levels of sport, not just the elite levels, but right through to grassroots, uh, what, grassroots what's happening in physical education, what's happening through the NHS and, and referral schemes for people who are rehabilitating and so forth. You know, what are those ideas? How can we expose our students to those to make them job, job ready for when they, they step away? But even if our students have very specific ideas about where they might want to go to, it might be sports journalism, it might be to be to be a, a physiotherapist, it might be to be a sports psychologist, it might be to somebody who is bound up with marketing or the organisation of sport at some kind of level. I think it's absolutely imperative that they have some understanding of sport in the round. So they, they understand, well, if I meet a physiologist, I know what the purpose of their work is. I understand what they're attempting to do. I know the limits of their knowledge, and I know where there are grey areas between uh, their work and what a psychologist might bring, or what someone who works, for example, um, with the welfare of athletes might bring. So uh, whilst they might have a very... Um, specific idea of where they want to get to I think it's really important to understand uh, the variety of approaches of people with different kinds of knowledge who impact in on um, athletes uh, lives in that respect just relating to a practical sense uh, the Durham degree program they provide different assessment methods how can that benefit sport business owners well, I think um, we try to challenge our students in a variety of ways. Durham, unquestionably, is a very academic institution. We push our students in in that respect um, to take real care over what it is that they do. But we want to uh, integrate into the programme a variety of ways in which our students will be stretched. So it's, it's, the, it's not just routine writing essays, sitting exams. 
um, because that doesn't reflect really what's going to be happening in that real world. We want our students to be engaging with each other. Um, we want them to be stretched in terms of the kinds of reports they might have to produce, the way in which they might have to present themselves, not in a written fashion, but in an oral fashion. We want them to be stretched in terms of the variety of ways in which they think about what it is that they're focusing on, the particular issue or the particular problem, and how they might present that to different kinds of audiences. That might be an audience of experts. That might be an audience of people who have no real grasp of what it is um, that that you're talking about in that respect. So, for example, um, I would like my students to be able to go and talk to people who are employed in the industry who maybe have been to university but do not understand or do not understand or know about recent research. Can my students translate re recent research to that audience? But can they go into a school of primary school teachers who haven't had the benefit of a sports science or a sports studies degree who haven't been that focused on sport ever, but they know they have to deliver sport and exercise to those primary children, can they also translate that research to a group who aren't schooled uh, with, a, with a thorough background in sport? That's a really important skill, I think, for students to, to know and, and to, be, to acquire. And I think a university like Durham is a good place to be exposed to the problem of having to do that. Um, our students are going to make mistakes, um, they are not going to get it right first time, but, a, but it, a, a university offers a safe environment to try these things out, to be stretched and to get it wrong and to learn from those mistakes so that when you step out into that more real world scenario uh, where people's lives actually depend on some of the decisions that you might make um, and you can affect lives, that you, you've been exposed to a variety of ways in which you might present your information different ways of working, different ways of working with other types of people, people with other skills, other strengths. I mean, I take you back to when I first went to university. Um, the friends I had uh, around me were really rugby players. I didn't know anything about rugby. I just played football. They'd been, some had been to independent schools, some had been to um, state schools like me, a whole set of different experiences. You know, and, and, I, and it was at that point that I thought, hang on a second, I've, I've got to get to learn to deal with all these types of people. If we're going to produce work and be friends and get on, um, it was a sort of life skills, in more generic skills, you know, and, and, and subsequent to that, every time I've gone into a new setting, I've realized that, you know, that basic skill of getting on, having to produce something with a variety of people who have a variety of backgrounds and, and levels of input is, is essential. Um, it's very hard to explain that to a, an 18-year-old who's come out uh, of a school who's just done a qualification to get themselves to university because, by and large, all they've done has been focusing on themselves. But actually, that's not what the real world is about. And particularly in sport, where you work in teams, people very rarely, if ever, work in total isolation. So you've got to understand... Um, the roles and responsibilities that other people have. You've got to understand how they've come to the knowledge that they've acquired and you've got to understand how you're going to work um, with them to that end. And I think universities, uh, our responsibility as, as teachers in universities is to ensure that our, our students are exposed to that, that they have the ability to develop themselves in those ways um, and that universities give students the opportunities to seek out um, practical uh, experience in that way beyond the degree program so so what experiences can they gather 
throughout the university as a whole, through the, the, the sport um, that, that's run through universities, to add value to the academic knowledge that they're learning on the degree programme. How about in relation to group work? Does Durham provide group work assessments as well? So uh, we will ask our students to work individually. We will ask students to work in groups uh, where it's relevant to do so. So when our students go to the exercise physiology lab, almost always they're organised in groups in terms of organising themselves in terms of the, the problems that they're being asked to uh, address, physiological problems. Um, we, we want our students to develop the capacity to be leaders in group work, to understand their position in group work. Um, we want them to be able to assess the situations, be critical of their role, change their role, change their attitude towards what it is they're doing sometimes. Maybe midway through a project, decide to start again. Uh, that can't be done alone. That has to be done in groups. Uh, and, and so, yeah, group work is essential uh, an essential part of, of our program. Uh, we have to strike a good balance in that respect. Um, we need our students to be independent learners. We don't want students relying solely on the input of others, being uh, uh, getting used to the idea that under certain circumstances they can piggyback on, on other people's hard work, hard work. We need them to be independent so that if asked, they they can they can be responsible and take responsibility for, for particular instructions in a work setting. But we need to understand, our students to understand how that fits and knits together in the round, you know, in, 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 in the context of a, of a larger project and a larger objective. Um, so group work is absolutely paramount for our students. I, I, I never see a job advert which doesn't require some element of working in a group or working together. Uh, and, and if workplaces require it, I think uh, universities have to reflect that in our practices and our teaching. How about relating to your modules, that video project you mentioned to me about before the show? Our students um, on the sociology pathway that I'm in part responsible for here get exposed to a variety of different types of assessments. So, I mean, fundamentally with, with each module, they will be required to do an academic piece of work. What, that, what I mean by that is they will have to take the latest research uh, and demonstrate that they have an understand of it, understanding of it, a critical understanding of it. Can, so they can see, can they see the, the strengths in it? Can they understand the limitations of it? Can they see where uh, that um, academic knowledge could be developed, could be improved maybe, could be rerun such that different results might um, come out of, of, of similar research? That's standard academic practice, I guess, but but that will happen very rarely in that real-world context. So against that background of academic knowledge, uh, our students have to be exposed to, uh, to problems of the presentation of an understanding of research. So we will uh, ask our students, for example, to construct, um, in the past we've done uh, sort of basic websites, but also in... Uh, uh, year two and year three, our students can make a film, a short documentary film, in which they examine an issue in sport. And uh, to date, students have done uh, examinations of gender inequalities, mental health issues, uh, catastrophic injuries of some students. Um, and they've had the problem of uh, deciding how they're going to present that problem, um, what their audience is going to be, what their audience would need to know, What's the best way of putting something together to capture the attention of an audience 
Um, and our students have produced br- brilliant work. It's very different work from a standard library-based study of, of trawling through academic journals for the latest research in order to build an argument. But they complement each other. You can't do one without the other. Our students uh, and the films that they produce should be based on academic work. We should see the concepts that they're dealing with coming through those films, even if they're not explicit, even if they're not talking about them in outright terms. We should see the way in which our students focus on, for example, the power of a coach. We should see the way in which our students are highlighting the way in which students are coping with, defending their sense of self or self-identity. All these kinds of ideas, gender inequalities, racial inequalities, class inequalities, issues around disability and empowerment. All of our students have tried to deal with and struggle with those ideas. It's very hard and it presents real problems, but I think this is a good place to have those prese- those problems presented to you. It's a safe place to struggle through um, with those kinds of ideas. I want my students to, to leave Durham University and to be able to sit in front of a future employer and say, this is what I did. This is how uh, I went about my degree. This is what I was focused on. This is what I was interested in. And this is how I sought to add value to what it is that I wanted to do. This is why you should employ me. And I would expect all employers to ask those kinds of questions of my students. If they cannot respond in that way, then don't employ them. But I think my students, many of my students, can can leave here and say, right, well, this is what I did. This is this is the academic academic knowledge that that I learned. This is how I was stretched myself. This is what I, I wanted to achieve. This is how I sought to make the most of my time at a university like Durham, where um, you spend three years, you've got numerous opportunities to stretch yourself push yourself as well as having fun as well as meeting friends for life in that sense and that's also an important part of university life um but you know you know how can they make themselves stand out you know um one of the things uh that i learned very early in my time here at durham was was the high number of people who were really interested in sport and really wanted to come and and study sport uh in my, my time as uh formerly an admissions officer here um, it was it was a, somewhat of a surprise to discover that there is you know from one year to the next UCAS figures show that there are about fifty thousand students applying to a sport related degree at a UK higher education institution every year or thereabouts is a really popular degree program. So the problem for my students is you know given the 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 vast numbers of students who are studying sport, you know how can they demonstrate to a future employer? that they are the ones that are standing out. You know, what can my students do whilst they are here at Durham to make themselves distinct? How can they focus on those those interested areas? How can they develop themselves in that respect? How can they develop their CV? Um, and how can I help them do that in, in minor ways or more major ways? Um, it doesn't matter. I want my students to come and seek me out, to ask those kinds of questions, to look for those kinds of opportunities. Um, and to uh, and to develop themselves, that they leave here as somebody who can step into that work environment, who doesn't need uh, a lot of support, who can work independently, can be trusted, can be responsible. Um, and I think that's my my responsibility to any future employer is to say that my sports students are are those kinds of people. You want to employ them because I've stretched them, uh, and they are used to that. They've been pushed. They've developed some kind of resilience. 
Um, they're not going to give up. They're, they might get things wrong, but they can pick themselves up and they can correct it. Uh, and, and that they've had to work uh, at a high level. I, I've, I want them to cross every T and dot every I. I want them to be able to present your company or your organization in a, in a manner um, that that befits the effort of, an, of a future employer, you know, uh, and it's really important that we get that right. Otherwise, what are we all doing here? Exactly, it's and I feel the one thing I've realized from my experience from the sports industry is that I don't think the industry understand how much universities really push students to that limit. Um, but I'm going to sort of wrap up the show because I want I like to en- uh, end with a sort of inspirational question, if that's okay. What advice would you give a sports scholar who wants to start a career in sport after university? Well, I, I would ask my students the moment they arrive that kind of questions themselves at, at university. You know, what sort of difference do they ma- want to make? Where do they want to go? Whether it might be into uh, physical education, they you know my students have gone on to uh, do teacher training. They they want to make a difference in young people's lives at primary ages, at secondary ages. Um, they want uh, some some people arrive uh, and they want to to aspire to support future Olympians. It doesn't matter where you lie on on the vast range array of jobs that um, exist within a in an expanding sports industry i want to ask my students well where are you going to make a difference how are you going to develop yourself whilst you're here um work hard don't give up i mean the, the stories that we hear from our, our former graduates the stories that we hear from people in life in a more general sense is things don't come easy you know, I didn't get to this position, you know, I am today in that sense in my academic life. And I, and I, I love the work I do. I enjoy the, the, the interaction with my students. I still love my research. I still want to make a difference in that real world setting. And I still ask myself the questions, how, how can I benefit the people I research? You know, can I support athletes as, as well as I can? Where is my knowledge making that difference? I never stop asking myself those hard questions. But it's, you know, I don't get it right all the time. I still battle on. And I want my students to see that kind of battle, that kind of struggle. Because if they don't understand that, they're never going to aspire. They're not going to get onto that career path that they may want, they, they may want to. I have students now um, who have been really successful in a range of fields. Um, but it's been the experience of coming to a university like Durham that has, has, has given them the toolkit, if you like, um, to, to make a difference for themselves and also the employers that they work for. So um, there are a variety of skills that they can rely on. We've got them into a way of working. They've had to grasp issues around time management, how best to coordinate their lives with the other kinds of things that they're doing. They've had to understand that there are times that they knuckle down and work really hard. There is no shortcuts to doing a good job in exactly the same way as there are, there are no shortcuts to getting fit and perfecting skills. You know, sport, our sports students understand that. Uh, but it's that broader education. I, I never expect... Uh, a student of mine to love everything that I've got to say. I deliver in year one 18 or 19 lectures on different kinds of topics. I don't expect my students to grasp all of them or love everything I've got to say, but I expect them to say to themselves, what is it about what he's saying that, that I do enjoy, that I do like, that has captured my attention, and how can I take that forward? And I want to inspire my students to think, well, wait, no, actually, when I walk out of this university, 
knowing what he said there, how am I going to then make a difference in that future? What is it that, that what is that spark or that nugget of an idea that, that I've heard there that I've not really heard presented to me in that way before that I can take forward? Uh, and that's what I want any future employer. I, I want them to realise that we've done our best to expose our students to a variety of things. We will never dictate to our students where they've got to go. We will never dictate to our students what they should find interesting or not. But we want our students to find their own path through that. And we want to set a, a curriculum full of its assessment, which enables our students to best do that so that, that they themselves find their own journey through this and that they, that they take themselves off in a direction that befits their interests and their skill set and that we've delivered that kind of toolkit, if you like, to help them do that. But it's just the first part of that journey. We know that when they step out into that real world, those employment scenarios onto that career path, that they have to continue to develop those skills as we all do. Yeah, definitely. I think what I've learned from this business journey of mine, for example, is you're always learning. And I think that's what scholars need to always understand is you, you don't just get the degree and stop. You've got to keep going forward. Lastly, Martin, how can people interact with you and get in contact? Well, um, the, the, the easiest way is through the university website. Um, my uh, profile is on there. Um, I can be uh, emailed at any point in time. I receive emails from former students, from people in industry on a reasonably regular basis. Um, and so we're f I'm, I'm fairly easy to contact, I think. I'm on, on Twitter. Um, I can be connected there. Most academics now um, uh, are on some social platform, uh, media platform. I wouldn't say I was the best user of those kinds of platforms. I do need to up my own game in that respect. Um, but I want to disseminate the research I do to as many different people as possible. And I will seek out those opportunities and I will grasp those opportunities when they are presented to me. So over the, over the, uh, the, the past 15 to 20 years, I've discussed my research with um, all kinds of sports scientists, all kinds of uh, people who are involved in, in sport at some level or another. Remember, the majority of my research is on professional athletes. Um, and so it has tended to be professional sports clubs that I've been involved with. And, and also athletes independently have contacted me, um, which has been a real pleasure that they've seen something in something I've had to say or I've written that's connected with them and that they're interested in it. Uh, and, and I've been able to develop some really meaningful relationships with athletes on that basis. And I've tried to help them as much as possible. And if I cannot help them myself, then I, then I, you know, it's my responsibility to develop my own network of people that I can uh, pass uh, potential clients onto in that respect. So that's a really important thing um, that I don't just plough my own furrow, that I, I see some sense of social responsibility in developing my own network and I know where my own limitations are and where I, where I can't help somebody, but I know somebody who potentially can and I think that's a really important thing. Martin, that is great. Uh, on the podcast notes, guys, there'll be some links of Martin's connections on my website. Martin, it is an absolute pleasure to sit down. I've been luckily enough to been taught by you once upon a time, but to actually hear the background of your journey, I much appreciate your time and thank you very much. Okay, thank you, Ed. What a great way to kickstart the Sport Industry Access podcast. I hope you found this interview helpful and inspiring as I did. Martin covering a range of topics which is so applied to modern sport.
relating to today's main topic. I hope this interview provided a better understanding why the sports industry should employ the next generation of academic talent. Most of all, to current students out there, I hope you use this episode as a platform for inspiration for your studies and career prospects. Thank you again for listening in. I'd like to hear your thoughts, though, about this episode. If you've got any time, please could you write a comment on my website or a review on iTunes. I'd much appreciate it. At the end of each episode, I'd like to finish with an inspirational quote from my special guest. Martin said, work hard and don't give up. If you can apply that mentality in your lifestyle, you'll go far.